everyone. I'm Kathleen Gazzola. And I'm Molly Upstill. And this is Mum's Mum's Gone Gone Tropo. A tropical escape filled with laughter, candid conversations and heartfelt stories of motherhood and the incredible lives lived in the NT. From sleepless nights, the parenthood roller coaster and the heartwarming milestones, we'll share our experiences and have the privilege to sit down with a diverse array of inspiring women, some well-known and others are hidden gems. But all of them have fascinating stories to share about why they've chosen to raise their families in the magic of the tropics. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Really good. Nothing to ever complain about. Still trying to find the work-life balance now that I'm back at work. It's hard. It's very hard, definitely. I have a whole new appreciation for you when we started this doing four days a week in the lion's (laughs) share of the editing. I was like, fuck, how does Kathleen do this? Yeah, still still trying to work it out. 10 p.m. editing sessions oh, on occasions you. and Couldn't sending it, it through and sending you a late message being like, okay, it's uploaded. Oh, gosh. I really hope you listen through before you press publish. <laughs> I do most of the time. I listen at like 1.5 or 1.8 speed. <laughs> so we're talking like that this really, really fast, but I get, Molly. I get it. <laughs> I get it. Um, before we start, I know that every podcast that you probably listen to is saying this, but please go and vote for us in the People's Choice Awards for the Australian Podcast Awards. Because let's face it, how do we compare to we do you know, know. Hamish and, Blake or, or Beyond the Bomb? I know, or and like the like Life Uncuts of the World where they've got like half a million individual mm. Instagram followers to promote <laughs> this to. But um, just even your one vote counts with your dummy email address. It goes a long way for us. You know, we do this on the smell of an oily rag. Not even. We do it for free. We do it for nothing and we do it because we love it and this will help put the territory on the map in front of mine for everybody else. So I'll share the link again on our socials. Um, and if you do have five minutes, please click away. Click away. Um, how good is the Darwin Straight Up Festival? It is very cool. And I love that it's now moving out of the CBD. Yeah. Like there's some that have been done in Stuart Park. I know a big wall that I used to always drive past when Channel 9 used to be in Stuart Park is now like covered, which looks is fantastic. Is where Songlines is now? Uh, yeah, behind. Yeah. And then also I saw one that was being painted in Nightcliff. Yep. Nearby yep. here. I was, I have Is to admit. Is that the holographic looking one? I'm not sure, but I just saw a photo Territory Savvy had put it up. Yes. Um, That was very cool. And I, I do have to admit back in, I think it was 2017, when it was initially launched and announced, I was sort of like, mm, okay, really? But I think it really has just truly transform the aesthetic of the CBD. I mean, so many people outside of work were stopped and like, we're like, what are they taking photos of here? Like, is there some story that's connected to us? Like it's weird. And no, they're just taking a photo of that big mural Mm. above us with the woman and the dog. That's very like Illuminati-esque kind of thing which is just stands out. And then I love driving past Woolworths and you see the big crocodile coming oh, out. Oh, that that's one of my favourites actually. you know, yep. like it's incredible. That's right. I was talking to um, Gertrude from Moorish talking about Poco Bar behind there mm. and how back in the day you would never have walked down those lanes, especially in the middle of the night yeah. after a night out as a woman in yeah. particular. But now they're just alive. beautiful and they are alive. And it's, they are 100% it's alive. really awesome. I love it. I think it is one of the best things that have happened to this city and it doesn't matter where you walk now, uh, the night cliff is coming alive with it and the pop-ups that they're doing as well. I think down at the Botanic Gardens they had a couple of pop-ups and um, the artists that they're bringing 
to Australia for it. I think they had a, mm. a mostly local artist over COVID, but they had at the start a lot of international artists who would put the territory on the map to the entire world. Mm. And now our cool. city is a art gallery and I love it. And yeah, I just think you remember it is in Melbourne amazing. they've got all those little yeah. lanes and it works. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Um, so I also have a bone to pick with you and I'm going to forever argue against you about this, but the build-up doesn't start in August. You reckon it starts on um, Down Cup Day. Hands down it's the beginning of September. August was beautiful. Yesterday I walked outside and I was like, Oh, Do you remember here. the amount of people who actually agreed with me on that post, so though, many Molly? People agreed with you, and, and I'll stand you my have to admit that there wrong. was plenty of humidity during August. Yes, there might have been a little bit of a spurt yeah. of the cool. Yeah, but yes, I agree. It has been particularly hot this week. Steve, in particular, had to turn on the aircon at three a.m. because he couldn't sleep. Wait, you don't sleep with the aircon on? Not during the dry. Really? No way. Oh, maybe it's because I got a baby in my room. I mean, Sally has her aircon on the entire time. She hasn't. Queen. Slept without aircon because we'll keep it regulated and I want to sleep. <laughs> but if it's the dry season, why would you sleep with the aircon? Well, I don't Maybe know. Maybe that's another pole. Pull. Like it's the dry Are season. You Do you need aircon? Yeah. You don't. I mean, then you get gorgeous. those people that sleep with the aircon, no aircon in the wet season. They're just on a yeah, whole they're psychotic. level of crazy. Yeah. I mean, granted, when it's pouring with rain, it's beautiful. Yeah, And it it's is. cool, but then it stops and it gets hot but again. Then the steam so. starts coming out of the ground. Yeah. Like, no, aircon, we've aircon, literally aircon. only – last night was the first night we turned the aircon on. Although, admittedly, during August there was one or two nights that we put the aircon on because wow. it was hot. So I still – I stand by my – I stand mm, by I'm it. I'm sorry. I reckon September, early September. We just, anyway. had a, we just had a La Nina that might have impacted <laughs> how long the dry has had. And so then it's meant to be late to start raining. But I stand by my point. All righty. Well, we'll continue to argue <laughs> about this. Let's intro our next um, dad. I'm born and bred. I get the state, Molly. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> our next dad in our series is one of the Territory's most well-known and respected journalists, not just locally but nationally. If someone can sniff out a story, it's Matt Cunningham. His love of the NT is real and he projects that through not just his work but in the way he raises his kids. His story on coming to the Territory is simple and beautiful. He just didn't want to be in the big city rat race any longer but it was a moment in the car with his wife on holidays in the top end that really cemented their move back north and they've never looked back. Matt Cunningham is a dad of three, a husband and a media heavyweight. Although he'll probably wait. roll his eyes at that description. <laughs> We can't wait to share his story with you. So please welcome Matt Cunningham. Welcome, Matt Cunningham. Aha, uh-huh, hello. Thanks for joining us. Good to be here. Under duress? <laughs> Sorry? Under duress? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> We're currently sitting in the Sky Studio. Yeah, yeah this is exciting, Flash. It used to be a corner of the lunchroom here, but they upgraded it. It's pretty Swedish. Yeah, it's yeah. very nice. Yeah, it's great. Well, let's begin our episode the way we always begin our episode. Matt Cunningham, give us your dad stats. Um, my dad stats are I have three kids. Um, my eldest, Seb, a boy who's 13, and then two girls, Molly, who's 10. Um, sorry, Eve, who's 10. I don't even know the names. <laughs> Eve, Eve, Eve. When's their birthdays? Quick, That's a good start, quiz. isn't it? Eve. <laughs> Eve, who's 10, and Molly, who's just turned nine. So I wonder if this is going to be like a common theme of dads on the Dads Gone Troppo series of like trying to remember their kids' birthdays. Have you immediately already got a tap from your wife? Well, I, I, this? I, I can say that I this is a problem I inherited from, from my own dad who once threw me a massive birthday party, a massive 30th birthday party, uh, except it was on my 31st birthday <laughs> and, and he had actually been to my 30th birthday 
<laughs> the year before, one of my mates came up to me. It was that we were down south at the footy in, in Garfield, where I'm from, and, and you know he planned this big party for that night. And, and my mate Suma comes up to him that day and says, "Jerry, you know that Matt's 31." <laughs> <laughs> it was the first time it had dawned on him. Did you like just stand there? Just thanks for throwing this awesome party, Dad. Like, are you oh, like, am look, I missing something? Look, or? As always with my dad, his heart was in the right place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So was it, it was a surprise party? Or well, no, it was it was, it was sort of an organised thing. Would have been an extra but, surprise yeah, yeah, for you. Yeah, like, yeah, thanks, yeah, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you remember last he, he year? He was a year out. Anyway. <laughs> Love that. Um, also, so I've known good. you for a while, like, what, seven, eight years now. I had no idea that your daughter was called Molly. What a great name. Well, there you go. No, it is a nice name, Molly Rose. Um, oh, that's oh, beautiful. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's a gem. Does that mean her that she's your favourite then? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> They're all unique in their own special way. It was funny oh, because God. my eldest two, Seb and Eve, are very sort of sporty. Seb, and- Seb is short for Sebastian. Sebastian, Seb, no, yeah. yeah, yeah, short for Sebastian. But Molly's more artistic and into dancing and art and, you know. Yeah, yeah. She made me seven Father's Day cards for yesterday. Oh, so, oh um, cute. She's, yeah. Can you tell us you, what you got made for dinner last night for Father's Day? Oh, a three-course feast. <laughs> Edible. <laughs> Prepared by my three <laughs> lovely children. I had uh, Bicky and Dip for entree. Classic. And what then, was the dip? Uh, it was, well, it was actually like blue cheese. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say it yeah, wasn't yeah. the old French onion. No, 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 no. They must have run out of that. Corn relish maybe. <laughs> oh, classic. <laughs> um, Surprised they didn't serve it in a cob. <laughs> <laughs> been done before uh and then uh, i had two super burritos for uh for main course which is their favorite food which yep. was good of Classic. them to cook that for me for father's <laughs> day and then for dessert they made me some magical concoction with crushed biscuits and ice cream and flake and oh, berries all amazing. mixed up in very a cold rock-esque so, yeah. Mm. yeah yeah no it was a good effort it was yeah. a good effort i actually had a friend yesterday who i ran into and um she said oh it's so funny my daughter gave um my husband, a Pokemon set for Father's Day, which I think was actually a present for her that she just gave to Dad on Father's Day and I'm sure that's a common like, theme play with me, play amongst with me. all mm. parents on Mother's and Father's Day. <laughs> so Dad will love this, but you know who will love it more? Me. me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning and how you found your way to the Territory, Matt. Um, I, I first came here. In 1997, that's a long time ago. I think it was in kindy. 26 years ago. (laughs) Way to bring that in. I I was sort of, I was 19 years old and I was a bit lost like most 19 years old, year olds, but I was a mate, a good mate of mine had been playing footy up here for a couple of years. And you're from Victoria? From Victoria, yeah. So his name's Lincoln Withers. Um, And... I was I played footy with him in Victoria, and he said, "Well, why don't you come up and play footy in Darwin?" So there were four of us who came up to play footy at Waratahs, and the other three lasted two weeks, I think. Yeah, because of the heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I remember. I remember we. The you know, heat would absolutely knock you around after if you like playing footy down in Victoria over the winter, and then you come up for a wet season mm. to like maintain your fitness. Holy, but that's that why it's a popular thing because it's alternative seasons, isn't it? Yeah, that's they get a lot of players yeah. who come from down so south. So it was already a very good yeah. kind of pathway already. By yeah, now. I think so. And we, I mean, it was December by the time we arrived, so the season was a couple of months in. But I remember oh, yeah. arriving oh. here on a 
you know, ANSET flight that went via Adelaide, Alice Springs, you know, and cost $1,000 one way. <laughs> yeah. And, but I remember getting to the airport and then walking out of those, out of the airport oh. doors and just feeling like I'd been punched in the face. Yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, my God, what is this? How do people it's, live here, let alone yeah, play football? literally. Here you are. Yeah. And yeah <laughs> Welcome here, to Here town. I am. So, that, so I, I sort of spent a couple of years here playing footy and then went back to Victoria and then in 2007 – my now wife, Jess, got a job at the Royal Darwin Hospital. Mm. She's a midwife. And she got a three-month contract at Royal Darwin Hospital. And then I took leave from work. I was working at the Herald Sun in Melbourne. And we so you were always – were you a journo when you originally came up? Not back when I came to play for yeah. I was a student and worked as a builder's labourer and worked at the – Yeah, right. Strippers at the Wanali Hotel. So <laughs> you would have seen some things. <laughs> <laughs> some, some stories. Oh, the Wanali is, yeah. is a fine establishment. I was just about to say something, and then I was like, "No, you know what? I'm not going to dob my it, husband in." It was a, it, <laughs> <laughs> it was a learning experience. Put it that way. It was funny. I mean, you know, I, I used to work at. What, the, were you like a bouncer? Or well, you no, I worked at. Well, I started off in the bottle shop. <laughs> <It was> <laughs> I started off in the bottle shop, which was fine. And then after a few months, they said, oh, can you come and work in the bar? And I was oh, like, if I oh, have to. All right. <laughs> and, and so then I'm working in the bar and, of course, it's a topless bar at certain times, then on a Thursday, Friday and Saturday. So you used to work with the topless barmaids. And they would have these massive, like, pint glasses for their tips, right? And they, their, their pint glass would be, like, overflowing, and they used to like hang shit on me and they'd give they me a little shot a little glass <laughs> for my tips and every now and then they'd like drop five cents in it. <laughs> and, of course, no one wanted to be served by me. You'd go to, to serve and someone a beer and they'd basically, you know, want to punch you in the nah. face. Yeah, oh, yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> I love that. Fun times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, wow. So had Darwin or the Northern Territory been – always discuss between you and Jess to come up here in that time that you were back down there or not, it was just not really out of the blue? not really I think we I mean we'd been together for maybe a couple of years but I think we just got stuck in a Melbourne rut um and you know then it was Jess who said that she was looking at jobs at RDH and um and I already had you know connections up here through footy and whatever mm. so I thought well you know that sounds like a good idea to me mm. And um, and I had a heap of leave owing at work, so I took like three months off work, um, and came up. And we were coming for three months, and um, we we're living at the nurses' quarters out at the hospital. And then at the end of that three months, Jess said, "Well, I'm not going home." <laughs> Make <laughs> so, your mind up, Matt. <laughs> and so I, I went back to Victoria for maybe three or four months. Yeah, right. Um, and then I saw a job came up at the NT News, and I was like, "Well." All right, here we go. So I took it and how good that was that? Um, and you now are the Darwin Chorus, the Chief of Staff. What's your job title at Sky News? You're the Darwin Chief Bureau, Bureau Chief. Cor- yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Big title. Chief, Chief of Self. Chief of Self. Yeah, it's, well, it's just you. <laughs> and you were also the editor of the NT News. I was. Yeah. Yes. And yes. you've had a long career in the media. What? How did you go from being a labourer to being a newspaper journo? I think I'd Like al- how did that happen? Well, I'd always wanted to to do journalism at some level. I think I did work experience at the local paper when I was like in year 10. <clears throat> um, and then I did an arts degree. Same. Um, which is a f- 
fast road to nowhere a lot of the time, as most people who've done an arts degree would know. So then sort of having done that, I was sort of at a loose end as to where I would go. Yeah. And um, But I was um, – my brother was playing football at University Blacks and I was playing football at Frankston. And he, he the guy who was the chairman of the University Blacks footy club was also the head of journalism at RMIT. Oh, and so, so that's how he recruited and all so his like students sort of <laughs> and, his, and his players. <laughs> and and so anyway, then I did. I sat the entrance exam for the postgrad in journalism at RMIT and got in. And then I ended up going from there. Worked at the Pakenham Gazette for a year. How good! And then got a cadetship at the Herald Sun. Was is was it always politics that you did, or was there sort of an element that you played footy, so sport might have been something oh, on the agenda? What did you want to I do? Ne- I never did. I never did sport in journalism for some reason. I thought I saw sport as being for fun, and I am you know. the same as that. I love sports so much. I did a couple of um, months working at the NT News as, and I did a lot of cricket. I learned how to do cricket reporting. I really enjoyed it, but I was like. Always remember, my dad said to me from a really young age, "Never make your hobby your job," and. I have always, same as you, kept sport as something that you do for fun uh, mm, rather definitely. than for work. Well, yeah. one of the good things about the job I do now is it's Sky News, but it's Fox Sports News as well. Oh, how good. And so every now and then, particularly in the dry season, you know, I get put on, you know, the AFL or, you know, the best three days I've had in this job, I reckon, is when the Australian cricket team was up here playing its warm-up match ahead of a tour oh, of Sri Lanka. And I just got to set, set my camera <laughs> up on the hill there at the cricket ground at Marara and just sort of sit on the yeah. hill and wait for something Did to happen. Did you have a sneaky beer? No, I should have. You yeah. should have. But I mean, it ended up being right, like, and it ended up being a big story because David Warner, it was not long after Philip Hughes had been hit and killed oh. sadly and then David Warner got hit in the head while he was batting. That's right, and it yeah. Was, it and you were there. Right. I, was, I was there. Because <laughs> you've got to film the hours and hours and watch the ball to get the one minute that, and then yeah. bang, you've got the right spot. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Gosh. And then so when you came up here, did it take you a while to fall in love with it or you were just sort of because you're only up here playing footy that first time round? We just it was always just a temporary thing. Oh, uh, I just I remember when we first came back in 2000 I just remember it just being an absolute blast. Like it was just such good fun. Mm. Um we had my cousin lives up here. Um my cousin Joe uh, and it's a funny story because I'd actually never met him. I didn't even know he existed before I came yeah, up right. here. And um and the coach of the footy team, coach at Waratahs, Bill Martin said, oh, I need you to come down to training tonight because your cousin's going to be there and he's a good footballer. And I said, which cousin? He goes, your cousin Joe. I said, I don't have a cousin called Joe. (laughs) He goes, yes, you do. He's going to be at training tonight. (laughs) And so then I rock up to training. It took one look at him and I went, that's him because he just looks like a Cunningham. There's two. He's my second cousin and and there's like, you know, there's – his, the genes rung strong. His strains of strain of Cunningham all look the same, you know. And so, like, and you know, we immediately became great mates, and you know, just That's had awesome. a you know, ball for you know, three years until yeah. Jess and I had kids and had to. <laughs> and then it all <laughs> Changed the way yeah. we live a little yeah. bit. <laughs> but I, I remember fondly those days. You know, we used to go to the deck bar on a Friday night. Oh, uh, yeah, it is off. beautiful there. Yeah, I end up at Throb at one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, those yeah. are always the funnest ones. You're like, no, no, we'll just go for one after work and then all of a sudden, yeah, however many days. And then and it's 4am. Like, yeah. And then you wake up. Anyway, 
upside down and you're like, how did I get here? Literally, yeah. Oh, God. I can't remember the last time I had a hangover. I've been (laughs) pregnant for so long, but, God, I don't miss them. I'll tell you that for free. Especially with a toddler there. (laughs) Oh, They're so brutal. Hangover with a toddler. I think that's something you do once. (laughs) Actually, you learn your lesson very quickly, (laughs) I reckon. Bloody hell. And so what's the best part of raising kids up here? You've got three kids. How far... 10, 8, 6? No, nah, you're not even close. I mean, I thought I was bad. 13, 13 9 and 8. <laughs> no, they're not Can even 13, 9 and 8. They're 13, 10 and 9. <laughs> we got somewhere in there. <laughs> oh, this is terrible. No. <laughs> they're not my kids. I'm not responsible for their yeah, ages. Exactly. <laughs> was three always on the cast? Oh, I think it was always two or three, but, you yeah. know, three, it ended up being three. I think once we had two and we decided we we're going to have three, we thought let's have three. You know? Yeah, you got to commit to it. What's yeah. the difference between two, the chaos of two, and then adding a third on top of that, asking for a friend? Oh, look, I think one – I think the one to two is the biggest change and challenge. Two to three – well, we had three at one stage, three under four, I think, or three that were four and under, mm-hmm. and that was hard times. Yeah. And Jess will be saying, not for you, hard times. <laughs> <laughs> I was at work most of the time. Um but um, yeah, I think when you, I mean when you when you've got three and there's only two of you, it's kind of gets yeah. A bit the tricky. amount of people that have been like, "Don't do it, just stay at two. If you think about well, three, you can divide and conquer it. two, but you're outnumbered when you have three. But then I've spoken to a few people who are like, three is easier than two because the third, like the eldest two, can sort of look after each other, whereas the third is yeah. just. You know, it just rolls on in, and it's, you it's just—it's so, sort of like an investment on your future happiness. You know, like when they're when when they were four, two, and one, it's like, oh my god, this is just horrendous. How did we ever think this was a good idea? How are we ever going to get out of this fog? Mm. And like, I mean, we're in the glory years now, so like, by, yeah. by the time they're they're thirteen, ten, and nine, and know, Seb's old enough great. to babysit they, now. Like stay well, the Eve's girl. the more responsible one. You know, I sort of trust Eve, our middle child, to sort of, you know, they're so resilient middle children, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, they don't have a choice, really. Yeah, exactly. So, but yes, Seb is technically old enough and responsible <laughs> yeah. enough. But technically. I, I, would, I would prefer Eve to be there too, just to make <laughs> yeah. sure that yeah, <laughs> The two of them up, but look after Molly. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that happened just last weekend. Jess and I were going out and... We were like, all oh, right, Seb can stay home and babysit. And then at the last minute, Eve's friend rang up and said, I oh, can Eve come and stay at her place tonight. And like, we were like, we're oh, not that- going out now. We're going to get a babysitter now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we left Seb at home. He did fine. He did a really good job. He's a good kid. That's good. <laughs> What's the best part about raising kids up here versus in Melbourne? How different do you think your life would be? Because you live in beautiful, leafy Nightcliff. <laughs> I do. We've spoken a few times about how beautiful the northern suburbs are and, you know, the what they call, I know, the doctor's triangle or the medical triangle where all the doctors and uh, pediatricians and med- well-paid medical staff live in Nightcliff. There's that little triangle. Well, tri- yeah, there's lots of yellow triangles as well. <laughs> yeah. um, and Gwydion Finch's yeah, yeah, posters these that's days. That's right. But um, I just think, Darwin, it's – just so easy with kids here mm. you know and they get such a good lifestyle and such a good experience like they're outside all the time and you know the weather's good i mean you know people complain about the build up here mm. but 
give me the build up over a freezing Melbourne winter where it's and dark at four thirty. Yeah, and, and you and can't go outside and... unless you put seven layers of clothes on, and then suddenly yeah. the sun comes out and you got to take three of them off and then yeah. put two of them back I on agree. again. That's like, what I hated just... about winter. Like mm. even in Bathurst, which it didn't rain all the time, mm. which is really my only long term experience of winter. <laughs> Was just having to go into places and you're all rugged up and then you have to take them off, yeah. and put it back on, yeah. and walk out. It's just I such a drag. have a trouble. I mean, I've only breastfeeding in those winter clothes. I just wear a shirt and I whack a boob out now. And down in Victoria, <laughs> Matt's you're like, like oh, yeah, really. sorry, Matt. Yeah, Matt, do you have any experience? Yeah, I, 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 I find that's one of the main reasons. <laughs> that, you know, but like, it must be so hard to be in Victoria and have to wear your seven layers, and then you've mm. got a screaming kid and you've got to sit down and get through seven layers of clothing. Anyway. When you went back to Melbourne, were you both just done with the territory, or it was the job opportunity that came up and you kind of had to take the chance to give it a crack down there? No, I think it was I think it was the fact that because we had young kids, so at the time I think Seb was three and Eve was maybe six months old. Yeah. Molly okay. wasn't born yet. And and I think, you know, in our own minds we were like, right, once we have kids, we'll move back home, we'll be closer to family. Yeah. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Because her family is also Yeah, yeah. My, we're from the same area in country Victoria mm. and so I think that that was our thinking all it was always our thinking that when we had kids we would move back closer to home and closer to family and I just think after we went back I think we probably the we didn't realize how much we had fallen in love with Darwin until mm. we were back living in Melbourne yeah. and then you know after a while it was just like what are we doing what are we doing and then I remember we came up we came up here for a holiday and we'd been back in Melbourne for two years. We'd actually just bought a house. Like we'd settled on a house a month earlier <gasps> in, Victoria. in Victoria and we came up to Darwin for a holiday and we were driving down McMillan's Road mm. and I just looked over at Jess and she was crying. Oh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, right. It really hit you both Just realised that this is where we wanted to be. Yeah. Oh. That must then- have been a really profound moment, like just sort of looking at each other and being like, I actually love this place so much. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and then thinking, oh, my God, now we've got to sell a house that we just bought and pack everything up. And, I mean, I had to find a job up here. Yeah. You know, all these things. But, I mean, opportunity left, right and centre up here, right? Like you were never not going to find work in some space. But it's doing what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, Because then how long after that was it? Well, that was in March and it wasn't until the end of that year that we ended up back here. Yeah, okay. So... You know, was that a gun. slog just to get through? Yeah, I think it was. Once I mean, you we, had that we realization, were, you're like, gosh, yeah, now yeah. We're and it, that was a long year because we'd lived in the city in Melbourne for like a year and a half, and then we knew that that wasn't us, you know, like living somewhere where it, I mean, I used to do the, I used to drop Seb off at childcare and then go into work on the tram in the morning, and we lived in Balaclava, which is maybe, I don't know, less than 10 k's from the city where I worked. Mm-hmm. And it used to take me an hour each way each oh, day. I couldn't imagine anything worse. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just like, oh, my God, what are we doing? Life is too short. And then, then we moved out to Warrigal, which is near where my dad is from and Jess's family's from. from, um, and I was catching the train in every day. But then that was worse. I mean, it was, all, it was supposed to be an hour and a half and it would always be delayed and I'd, I'd be on the train for four hours a day. And it Yuck. was just yeah, it was just that's not a way to live a life. No, nah, it was horrendous. You know, now I'm in the car for ten minutes each day. Yeah, each way, so yeah, you know. yeah. And you're hell. still only ten. K- you're what? I think Nycliffe is exactly 
10 Ks from the city. You're the same distance yeah. from the city. <laughs> never, oh, when you put it that it way. Is. Yeah. Yeah, wow. You're the same distance from the city centre and you work in the city and it takes you 15 minutes to get to work even yeah. in peak hour traffic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's madness. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I know it's great. It's so good. So can we like circle back to the NT News? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so <laughs> how long were you a reporter before you got up to editor? Uh, I think I was a reporter for the first maybe 18 months I was there mm-hmm. and then I was chief of staff for a year or two. I don't know. I wasn't working with you then. You're and looking then, at me like I would know. <laughs> uh, and then deputy editor for a year and then editor. Yeah, right. So two. quite a quick yeah, climb up yeah, the ladder, yeah, eh? Yeah, and would was. you put that down to because of the opportunities here? Would it have happened like that in Melbourne? Oh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. No. Yeah, there's. I mean, that that's a great thing about Darwin work-wise is, mm. you know, you do get a lot of opportunity and you probably get to do things earlier than you might yeah, do them sure. somewhere else. Well, the that's N- definitely what I got to do for sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, the NT News is a pretty iconic publication. What were some of your favourite stories that you've reported on? I, I had the UFO round at one stage, which was a lot of fun. Oh, I forgot there was yeah, a UFO yeah. reporter. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, well, it, like, you know, the, the NT News is famous for its wacky front pages and, and all that stuff. And it, that's sort of mostly the genius of Julian Ritchie, who um, was the editor when I first arrived. And, um, and I remember when I was chief of staff, chief of staff, in my opinion, is the hardest job in the newsroom. Because yeah. you're, like, you're like the... You're the you're the middleman between the reporters and the editors, and the editors always want something, and it's not always what the reporters are giving you. And so you've got to sort of be the middleman. Your job every day is to go in. Well, it was. I mean, newspapers have changed a lot since 15 years ago when I was the chief of staff at the NT News. But your job back then was to to get together a story list to take to the editor at three o'clock in the afternoon for him to then put the newspaper together. And if your story list was no good, well, then your day after three o'clock got really, really, really ugly. It's a scramble. Um, and so <laughs> anyway, I I knew that Julian loved UFO stories and he loved putting them on the front. <laughs> he loved weird and wacky stuff. Right? So Julian was the editor. Julian was the editor. So I would always have in my top drawer a UFO story <laughs> ready to go <laughs> if I had a shit news list that I could pull out a UFO story and whack it on there. And it was always a simple because – they, they were just one would flow into the other. So, like, you know, we did one UFO story and next thing I remember coming into the office the next day and sitting on the chief of staff's desk and the phone literally would not stop ringing. <laughs> oh, my God. Everyone who'd seen a flashing light anywhere in the sky for the past 10 years was suddenly like... <laughs> <laughs> have Wycliffe Wells so, on speed dial? So yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, oh Alan good. Ferguson, who um, is a guy out at Acacia Hills, who, you know, he, he – and he was great. He had photographs and video. Oh, and, that's what yeah, you want. Yeah, like, people you had need the proof. A few yeah. tinfoil hats out yep. that way too. <laughs> I have experience with that. When I was working at the NT News, I spent a weekend in Catherine once mm. and I got shown this photo um, of this crocodile. I have never seen a crocodile that size in all of my life. And it's one of those moments where people are sitting around having a, having a talk about it and you're like, this is the front page of the NT News. Like, you know, like you, you wouldn't think of it if you're not, you know, in that area. And I was like, I need this photo. Who took this photo? And I called the person who did it. And I'm not going to say the name because I actually can't remember if their name was printed in the news. But the f- croc was huge and I'll post it on our socials. I'll go back and find it. It actually made that NT News little book. Anyway, it made the front page of the paper and I got a phone call 
from a guy in Canberra who ran the Monica News Agency where um, Nigel Scullion, our old senator, would get his newspaper. And he rang me. He asked me directly and he said, Molly, I've seen a crocodile bigger than that. And I was like, well, where's the proof? And he sent me this photo of this crocodile. He's like, I kid you not. It was like a fair way back. He's like, this bank was like two metres tall. And he's like, if you measure the croc sideways in comparison to the bank, that makes this crocodile eight metres. And anyway, like I had then all of this like on flow of, no, I've got a bigger crocodile. I've got a bigger crocodile. And I always have to call um, Graham, Graham Graham Webb and he's like, there's no fucking way that crocodile is that big. He's like, they just actually do not exist. And he definitely would have sold it, sold and it in that way as well. every time I would ring, he'd be like, Molly, no, Molly, no. Stop calling not me. Big. Stop calling me. But I was like, I've just got to do it. But it's true. Like, you know, the the flow on, I think Territorians are so proud of that publication and where yeah. they're from that like a crocodile or a UFO or all the quirky things that are from up here just like turn into bigger than Ben-Hur. It's fantastic. Uh, sure is. And so yeah. did you love those days? Like was it the wackier the better or did you find sometimes it was hard to cut through those um, silliness of it? No, I thought that was a, that was a, you know, I thought the paper had a great personality. Like it was one of the, you know, it was unique. It was iconic. Yeah. iconic. Exactly. You know, and you'd, you'd always have the Today Show and Sunrise ringing up and wanting to talk about what weird and wacky stuff you had. You know, on the front page, I used to get text messages from Carl Stefanovic at like six o'clock in the morning <laughs> when, we had a, when we had something good. Um, Weren't you doing a live cross <laughs> on a really serious story one day and then all the NT News staff in the background put on like tinfoil hats or like big blow up crocodiles <laughs> in the background? Really? Yeah, I remember that. And I really. <laughs> I think that was very controversial at the time, like all the staff with like these big blow up crocodiles in the background and Matt's there doing like a really serious cr- live cross on television. Yeah, maybe that's why we've got this new studio tucked away. <laughs> yeah, fair um, enough. Yeah. No, but it, was a, it was a fun, it was, it was a lot of fun, I think. Um, I, I had a lot more fun when I was chief of staff than I did when I was editor. Yeah. I think. I think that was, you know, well, all looks very fun. I think at times it was quite stressful. As yeah, well. so definitely. I think I'm, I'm I'm better when I'm just managing myself, not other people. Yeah, because you had a wife doing shift work as a midwife and three young kids, and, and, and navigating the chief of staff would be a big job. Well, that was that was the other thing. When I was chief of staff, I didn't have kids, so you know, I think journalism's probably a job that's great for people who don't have kids, and it's great for people who have older kids, and it's really difficult for people who have. Yeah, fast finding that. Yeah, as you, I'm sure you are fast finding out because mm. you know in our job there are times where you just have to drop everything at the drop of a hat yeah. to to go and do whatever the story is, and that doesn't necessarily meld well with mm-hmm. um, happy family life and mm. good parenting. Yeah. How do you how do you deal with that? I mean, obviously we just had a pretty hectic week of news, and you're a one man band and weekend responsibilities, and then you had to be like. Well, sorry, I know I committed to this, but this is pretty massive. Well, it was Molly's birthday party last Sunday as well. Oh, so, gosh. Um, so, you know, you do it with the support of, you know, of my wife, who's fantastic and um, puts up with that. But, it's, I mean, it, it is difficult, though. Um, mm. It's one thing I really dislike about the job yeah. now that I've got kids is that mm. that can happen and, you know, it throws everything out the window. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I try to sort of 
be away from home as little as possible. Um, but sometimes, you know, when when it's all happening, mm. you've you've just got to go, and you know, that's hard. And it's so conflicting too, because like, yeah, you don't want to go, but when it's such a big story, you want to be there when it's happening, mm. right? That's why we get into journalism, being in that moment of time mm. to be able to be there and having done it and yeah. do it well. I mean, th- yeah, that's true. I, I like I found one of my big frustrations when the kids were young is I found I, I felt like I was doing both jobs badly. You, yeah. you feel like I'm not doing my work job well um, and I'm not doing my job as a parent well yep. because, you know, I'm I'm sacrificing both to try and, you know, spreading yourself a bit thin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you fix that? How did you go about putting in place either boundaries or well, to what, make sure that, you know, what gives? One thing we did was move here to a different job. I mean, I was, in, when I was in Melbourne, I was the deputy editor on the Sunday Herald Sun. Which, That's a big job. Which is a big job. And it meant that on Saturday, I was at work from seven o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night, yeah. getting home at one o'clock in the morning. Um, and just in the end, that wasn't that didn't have a future. I don't think. No, that, no, exactly. And so that that was a good thing about the job I've got now is that you know, when it's busy, it's busy, and when it's on, it's on, and it's full on. But I do have the flexibility to mm. you know work around the kids and take them to sport and take them to dance and do those sort of things. So, yeah. Yeah. so you grew up in country Victoria, and it sounds like your dad's a, a pretty fun. What what elements of your childhood were important to you? to bring into your own kids? What did your dad do right that you're doing now? I, my dad always, like he just spent hours and hours and hours and hours playing most, mostly sport with my brother and I. Yeah. You know, in winter it was kicking a footy, you know, through the the four posts in the side of the shed, you know, mm. Um from an angle that meant, you know, I was great at kicking for goal if I was right up against the boundary, but if you gave me a shot from straight in front, I'd probably miss. <laughs> and then and then playing cricket, well, cricket, which was our sort of number one sport when we were kids and my dad was, you know, cricket fanatic and mm. my brother and I became cricket fanatics as well. And he actually put a sort of, you know, poured a concrete slab in the front paddock and put you wow. know, carpet on and build a cricket ground in our front paddock. How good. You know, the fact we never played for Australia is not through <laughs> lack of practice. It's through lack of ability because my Can't have anything to do with your like, one leg being shorter than the other either. Well, that might have something to do with it. <laughs> we might talk about that later. But, um, but my dad was a dairy farmer and so he would, he would like milk the cows and then, you know, in, in daylight saving where it's still light until 9 o'clock, he'd finish milking the cows at half past six and he'd then bowl over after over to us until, you know, it was too dark to play anymore. Mm, that's and that, awesome. that was, you know, nearly every night that I remember in my of summer in my childhood. Yeah. So, and those are the things you remember, those just, yeah. It, yeah. yeah. You know what that is? At the is? time, that's just a mundane kind of thing. With yeah. the kids. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Dedicated time. Yeah. So you have two daughters. Mm-hmm. Has, their, has your love of sport been passed on to them? Um, yeah, certainly to the um, – Older one, Eve, who's yeah. a mad footy player, yeah. basketballer. You yeah. know, she plays two games of basketball every weekend and you yeah. know, I've now been roped into coaching her two basketball teams, <laughs> even though I know nothing about that sport. Like, guys, just than, get it in the hoop. <laughs> but you played basketball up here, didn't you? Well, I'm at a very, very, very Dabbled. low level. Dabbled. <laughs> I think uh, there weren't enough divisions to cater uh, <laughs> for my lack of talent, but um, but yeah, I, um, 
so she she plays um, and she plays footy as well, um, which is great. I think it's great that girls play footy now. And my, you know, isn't the AFLW great? That was yeah. going to be my question. Yeah, are you do you froth it now? Especially that she's so into it, so you can kind of share that being able to watch the girls play, and she can kind of aim for that, like at that elite level. I think it's yeah, absolutely, it's great, and you know. Jess would say and my mum would say, you know, I wish that was around when mm. I was growing up because mm. our only option was netball. That was yeah. like the one sport that you could play in winter if you were, a, you know, a, a girl in country Victoria. Yep. Which um, I say is so shit. It is. making you wear a really short dress. <laughs> on a really cold day. <laughs> a really cold day with those hard balls that if you miss it, the jarring on your hands is yeah. just so fucked. Like you feel like you've broken a finger. Um, and the knees. Doctors yeah. must be making a small fortune out of women in their 30s now who are just going to go and get knee replacements because of a lifetime yeah. playing netball. Definitely on a on hard country ground. courts. Yep. So sport is a big part of that because of that's what you had when you were a kid? Well, yeah, I think so. I think that, that's just... Uh, and the lifestyle up here enables you to do it all year round, Yeah, right? absolutely. You know, um, I think Seb started playing soccer when he was really young up here, like maybe when he was five. Um, and he still plays soccer now, and um, uh, we—it was just that was just part of life for us. It was, yeah, it was a yeah. big part of our life. It was cricket in cricket season and and footy in footy season. My my dad somewhat dismayed that none of my kids play cricket. Um, <laughs> never say never. Never say never. I, I don't think they have the patience for it. <laughs> but and, well, we didn't have basketball or any of those things. Yeah, which, and it's just that's just huge now. Like mm. the number of kids who play basketball up here, that, it's not madness, enough. Isn't not it? enough courts to put basketball. them on, and yeah, yeah they love it. Mm. And I think they all watch the NBA, and then they go out in the weekend, and you know. And especially now with all those American players here too, they're really involved with all the oh, kids, aren't they? So good, and so good. it's so good to watch. Like, yeah, you know, we become mad Darwin Salties fans. Mm. So we pretty much put on go such every a good week. Show, and, hey. Oh, the quality is just incredible. You know, watching these guys and a lot of them play in the NBL. You know, when they're not playing here, and they're just yeah amazing. And even in the local league, they have really good you know imported players who are really good to watch. And I think they set a great example for the kids as well. Yeah, what is it about here that that those pathways always seem to be so successful, but so many people wouldn't really know that that happens like I mean AFL is obviously so well known as you come up here and I mean we've got such great talent obviously for AFL in particular but you know the basketballers are coming now and we've had the strike league and the cricketers and the wallabies were just here last week yeah like what is it about the territory that tends to provide for that but it seems to be like a really not very well known nationally yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, like, it's good that we have all those things. I think it's great. Um, I'd really love to see a top-level sporting club based here, though. Like, like I'm, what? Well, I, you Haven't know, you read his articles about a I'd love to, AFL team I'd love that, that I totally I think, I think disagree that, with that we don't have the money well, to support? Well, we, we, pro- <laughs> we probably don't at, at this stage. But, it, I mean, if geez, if Tasmania can do it, then I'm, I'm not sure that there's any reason why we can't. Yeah. Um, you know, and Tasmania at the moment are having a massive blue amongst themselves, you know, trying to knock back a $700 million stadium. Yeah. Well, you know, if they don't want it, maybe we should yeah, put, bring it up here. <laughs> up and say we'll have true, it. True. But uh, whether it's footy or whether it's, you know, an NBL team or, or whatever the case may be, I'm sure people who are into other sports would love to see a league team or, you know, an A-league team or something. But mm. you know, that, I think that's one thing I miss about 
one thing about living in Darwin that I miss compared to, you know, if you live in Melbourne and if you live in Melbourne, you can go to a, like a great sporting event every yeah. weekend, whereas yeah. here yeah. they're very few and far between. Yeah. And I think that's you, – you look at the, the Darwin Salties, like they're getting 1,400 people. They're packing out the, the DBA Stadium every time they play. I think that's just how desperate we are to have a – a team in a yeah. national competition. Like they're yeah. playing in a second tier basketball league and we just can't get enough of them. So I am always shocked why. So I lived in Canberra and I was really lucky. I trained at the AIS in athletics um, back when I was at uni. And um, I, when I moved up here, was always really shocked that we send athletes overseas to do heat training and not up to Darwin. For example, Morgan Mitchell Hill, the 400 meter runner, goes to Arizona to do heat training. You know, people going overseas to heat training. Darwin's right here. Hmm. Darwin is hot all the time. Like, why is there we not? We do get some, but not a lot. Not like, as many as we should. Like, think no, about yeah. the kids that you would get down there. If the people like Morgan Mitchell Hill, and you know, people did heat training up here. I know the Wallabies. I think they were trying to get the Wallabies up here to do more heat training ahead of Tokyo, or Paris. I can't recall now. Um, no, the last, oh, the, last the last one where they needed to do a bit more humidity training. Yeah, like, like it should be. The the facilities at Marara are as good as the facilities at the AIS. I just baffles me why we aren't there at the forefront going, let's make this an international heat training facility. Come to Darwin. We're hot all the time. Matt's nodding going, <laughs> yes, I agree, Molly. Definitely. Yeah, well, like tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to. Go. Yeah. Man. Yeah, you're good right. Rant, good rant, Molly. Good rant. <laughs> I, I know. Sounds, like a, sounds like an op-ed, NT News op-ed. <laughs> oh, God, Saturday I've got again. enough on my plate. Watch for Saturday's paper for Matt's column. Yeah, yeah I know. I <laughs> According Someone to Molly up still. <laughs> <laughs> when you talk about being editor of the paper and how stressful it could be, how much does that go to politicians calling you and having a crack about something that was on the front page or written about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, there was some trying times during that period. There's no doubt about it. Could it make or break someone. Well, yeah, and, party, and government. And I, you know, I I probably had a tendency to go pretty hard on the political stuff. Um, and you know, I. It probably won me some enemies on both sides of politics. There were some <laughs> well, just interesting. Your job. It, there were some interesting and trying times, I think. Mm. For uh, yeah, uh, and we we had, I was editor when we had a change of government, so we had you know I had um, a while with Paul Henderson in charge of the Labor government, and then Terry Mills won the election in 2012, and then we had a CLP government for the first you know first mm. time in a long time, and then we had some pretty turbulent times because. Mm. Um, you know, Terry got rolled within, I think, seven months of being in the job. So yeah. Yeah, it was a turbulent time. Yeah. And, and when you're editing the newspaper, you're right in the middle of that. So, Do you think that people down south are just like, oh, the bloody Northern Territory just full of cowboys? Oh, they, they, they kind of sort of get that impression sometimes. But I think that's probably an unfair. I mean, you look at politics anywhere and it's mm. riddled with you know, crazy things going on. Look at what's happening in Queensland at the mm. moment. You know, Anastasia Palaszczuk's overseas and, you know, she's got her colleagues who are knifing her in the back while she's there. Can we <laughs> can we talk about my first couple of months in the NT News? Do we have five seconds for <laughs> yeah, me to talk about we've got time. when I got... As long as Matt has time. Well, I, I thought this was a podcast about my children, my parents. <laughs> everything the court sees where the conversation where it takes us i thought i wanted to be a court reporter i was terrible 
the court gave me the wrong charges. I printed them in the newspaper and the jury got discharged. It so was the court's Rachel fault. Was, <laughs> Rachel was editor, yes. No, yeah, yeah. no, I remember having to call Matt William. Oh, that was the scariest phone call I've ever had to make. Anyway, we digress. Good times. <laughs> so when you were at the Internews, Matt, you were here still? Yeah, as Sky Reporter though. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I was right. always terrified of I thought you both Matt. worked at the Internews together. You were terrified of Matt. Still am. <laughs> she was I'm always like, he's so much better than I'll ever be. <laughs> Stop it, Molly. I saw you doing a job for like Channel 10 or something once out at the um, Ute Run. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. That wasn't a job. That was just me being an idiot on camera. That's- YouTube, those clips are pretty good. <laughs> they are funny, You missed your they? calling, Moles. I oh, know, I know. No, I've got a head for radio and podcasting. <laughs> anyway. So um, <coughs> can we talk about your one leg shorter than the other? <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't know how did that happen, but like I – how? This was one of the fun facts that Matt yeah, gave us in the, only the question one. is. Um, no, I, um, when I was 15, when I was about 15 and I was in the middle of a growth spurt and I was playing – Well, I was playing softball and, and this ball got hit up in the air and I put my leg out and went to catch it and this guy came through and cleaned me up Ooh. and broke my right leg. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and then so then my, I was in a full plaster cast for like seven weeks from you know, hip, my hip to, to my ankle. Seven weeks. Mm. Jesus. And um, as a consequence, I now have one leg that's like an inch longer than the other one. An inch? Yeah, pretty much. Like if I sat down now, you know, I could show you. Um <laughs> No. And hence, I sort of walk around with like a funny gait, and everyone always says to me, "Oh, what's wrong with you?" Why I know. You I limping? literally said that. I was like, "Are you all right? What's wrong?" And you're like, "No, I'm just old." And then I was like, "Oh no!" He literally messaged me yesterday saying, "I've got one leg shorter than the other." <laughs> oh shit! Sorry. <laughs> there you go. So there you go. So how did you play footy? Did you just play ruck and you're like, "Oh, I'm just going to use my well, no, take my strong it hand." You know, it wasn't a hopelessly debilitating thing, but. Um, you know, it, it's actually sort of caused me grief the older I get in life because, you know, I didn't the creeks really, and- you know, get it get it addressed properly. You know, you can get like a built-up shoe or something. Yeah. So, but now sort of my back's out of whack and now all my, oh. everything else is out of whack. So arthritis kicking in. Arthritis is well and truly kicked in. So Ouch. Anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. Such is life. Yeah. Well, yeah. So let's circle back to the parenting like we promised we were talking to you about. What was the most – important thing that you wanted to instill in your kids when you first became a dad and that daunting moment you're like holy shit (laughs) i now have to look at this person forever that is a daunting moment isn't it (laughs) yeah it's like it's not real until that moment and then you're just there going oh my because yeah i suppose we carry the kid for nine months you sort of got your time to you feel it growing and the kicks and everything i mean you feel the kicks but it's not kind of all connected and ingrained. So you've suddenly got this little human there oh, that you've shit. got to look after. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bum, bum, bum. The midwife kicked me out of the hospital with up to no, I say kicked me out, but the midwife sent me on my way. She's like, just make sure his doodle's always pointing down and you won't have any nappy leaks and like basically gave me a thumbs up and on my way. <laughs> well, that's not – that's all right, <laughs> is it? That's good advice. It's mm-hmm. good advice, but I'm like, and now I just have this tiny little baby and I've just got to figure out what to do. Well, being married to a midwife, I sort of – probably didn't have to worry about uh, all those things because you know, <laughs> she was she was Jess was right across it from uh, from day one but I, I don't know to your question and you know, I you just try to you try to encourage them to be good people I think mm-hmm. more than anything I don't know that there's you know oh you know they must do this or they mustn't do that I mean I just want them to be 
happy and healthy. Yeah. And I think we've been largely successful to this point and, and lucky, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have three kids that uh, are healthy. Yeah. And, um, you know, and are happy most of the time and, you know, have good friends and, you know, do good things and you know, they get into a bit of trouble every now and then. But, As kids you do. know, that's what kids do. And uh, I just hope they grow up to be well-rounded, happy, healthy adults. How would you describe your parenting style? Um, oh, look, I'm, I think I'm fairly relaxed most of the time. I, I, it's funny, I, I find that your parenting, the way you parent depends on your own mental state and mm. when you get stressed, when you yourself get stressed, you, you can tend to take it out on your kids, mm. you know, which is why it was important for me, I think, to change jobs at one stage because, you know, you, you probably don't do it conscious consciously but, you know, when you do have stuff going on outside of your, you know, children's life, yeah, you, you can take it out on them if you know you're in the wrong frame of mind. I, I like to encourage them to to think and think for themselves a mm. lot, um, and learn to be critical thinkers. I think that's important. Yeah. Um, you know, but they all tend to do fairly well at school and great. Can't complain about that. Do you think that they're like? proud well I mean of course they're proud they're your they're your kids so they're obviously going to look after you up to you but do you think they're like sick my dad's on tv like so often you know you talk to Farsi and you talk to Rachel Hancock a former editor of the the NT News and they're like my kids couldn't give two stuffs about what I do you know Tash so often is pressing her Apple watch stopping a call from the boys because they're trying to break through her do not disturb <laughs> on her phone when she's in the middle of a press conference you know like <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, they they could not care less about what I do. And why would they? Like, yeah. you know, like what I do is no different to what a builder or a plumber or anyone else does. Like, and and I'm not even sure they're. I mean, they're not even engaged in in what I do. I mean, they know I go to work. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, Molly made me this birthday card for Father. Um, it's not a birthday card. A Father's Day card. And it, and it had like the four different dads, you know, it was like, you know, home dad and sport dad and something and the work dad. And it was just there and it was me standing and it had one of those talk bubbles and it just said, voice to parliament, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> that's how much you've been covering so think, that this week. I think, I think that's about where they're at. <laughs> Is that because, so just for everyone that's listening, you've just done – a massive project, the first of your that you've ever done it. You've done a documentary on the voice to parliament. How and I I saw something on someone shared it on LinkedIn, either Matt Williams or Courtney Stone Snowden shared a clip of you on LinkedIn. Um, you were reporting from Alice Springs and you got very emotional and it actually brought a tear to my eye. I, I think that you, you know, you come across as a really you're an amazing journalist. You're good at what you do. And then you were brought to tears on live television talking about domestic violence in the territory. It brings, it's so sad. You had only a month earlier spoken about the woman that was murdered by her husband and her month old baby. And you broke down on national television. I broke down is probably not the right word, but you definitely were very emotional talking about what was has been happening in Alice Springs. A culmination of a very long week. Yeah. How how do you how, what does your job mean to you to be able to report on 
on this and how does that impact you as a parent? Oh, look, the thing I find, and, and that was probably a moment of, you know, both sadness but frustration and, and you know, you guys would know this and Kat, you would certainly experience it having worked here for so long, is it's just a frustration that, you know, we we see we see what we live among you know what has been an absolute failure when it comes to aboriginal affairs in this country mm-hmm. and, and we see it playing out on the streets of alice springs and on the streets of darwin and you know there's, there's all this focus on all through the territory at the moment but mm. you know it's wherever you like and 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 what what shits me a little bit is that Every now and then there'll be like a national focus that like, like literally lasts for two minutes, right? Because something big is blown up. You yeah. know, Dondale's blown up or or Alice Springs blew up, blew up earlier in the year. Tennant Creek a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, Tennant Creek a few years ago, exactly. And and then you get all of this sort of opining from, from down south about what needs to be done and what and it lasts for two minutes and then mm. they shift on, the caravan moves on to whatever the next thing is. Yeah. And, and the issue hasn't been resolved the issue yeah. hasn't, nothing's improved nothing's changed and yeah. then it's just like carry on like yeah. you know so I, I just and and i want my kids to grow up in a place you know where where, where you know, i don't want and, and we try very hard around this but i don't want their impression of, of aboriginal people to be you know people who are you know fighting in the street or you know and 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 they see i think we see in the territory you know you see the whole range you yeah. see the very yeah. best across to the very worst um and and i just think you know and, and i worry that at, at the end that's the very worst it's getting even worse and and that would bear out in almost every statistic i mean the fact that we had we're having this inquest and that there have been 81 women killed in the northern territory in domestic violence incidents since 2000 and 76 of them are aboriginal and the police are saying that you know things have got a, you know 100 times well 100 worse in the last 10 years and they're going to get 70 percent worse in the next decade it's I mean, frightening God, if isn't that's it that's not a crisis that needs something done about it you know i don't know what is yeah and for those who don't know it's a it's a six-month landmark coronial by the coroner who's investigating four deaths of four women killed by their partner in the northern territory over the past couple of years and they're horrific. Like I've sat in on one of those days and a couple of those days and Matt's been covering a couple of those deaths when they actually happened. And nationally, it barely rates a mention. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it is horrible. Yeah, it's a big divide, isn't it? Yeah, I, it is. And it's just, I mean, it's really sad. And, and I think that, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't begin to have the answers yeah. as to no. what should be done. But I know that, you know. As a country, we should probably care about it a lot more than we seem to. And so does that make it difficult to, yeah, do the job and, and you know, have faith that things are going to change? Uh, look, I think it, it makes it important to do the job, you know. Like some of these things need to be, you know, I think they're stories that need to be told and they, they need to be sort of highlighted and, and the local media does a great job of of covering these things, but beyond the local media, that they sort of don't write a mention when they should. And and like to be like brutally frank, I'm I'm almost the last man standing when it comes to someone working for a national media organisation out of the Northern Territory, and everyone else is packed up and going home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 
I just I just wonder, <laughs> and, and I think I think that also means that when these issues do get national coverage, often they get national coverage from a very Sydney or very Melbourne perspective. Mm. You know, and and I think that you know. I'm preaching to the choir here, but yeah. you know, that, that can be really frustrating. Yeah. So we are coming to the end. So what would be your pearls of wisdom or your advice to a new upcoming long-term parent? <laughs> <laughs> Strap in for the ride. <laughs> it's funny because because you think before you have kids, you think, ah, oh, it's going to be easy. You know, I remember when. <laughs> How hard can it be? Exactly. Ah, yeah. well, like, oh, we're going to make sure nothing changes in our life. We're still going to go out. We're still going to go to the pub. We're still going to go out for dinner. We're still going to socialise with everyone. We're still going to have people around. Like we're not going to let this change our life. We yeah, went and bought. I we went having those conversations. We went and bought a pair of those like earmuffs. Yes. Before. Right, so we could take him to the pub, and and it worked once when he was like a newborn, when he was only a couple of weeks old. We took him down to the sailing club and had dinner. It was great, but you know, the first few weeks you can get lulled into a very yeah. false sense of security. Yeah. Do not much else. That's right, and then and they then turn you, into a toddler. You, you just, and then you, it, it's just like a gradual, like acceptance, isn't it? It and is. Then you just yeah, you kind of that, just have to adapt to it. That your life has changed. I heard this Sammy J song on the radio the other day, and I, he, he was. He was singing about how, how basically once he had kids that, you know, all his friends kept ringing up and saying, come on, let's go out, let's go out, let's go out. And, he, you know, he say, oh, yeah, I'd love to, but I can't, blah, blah, blah. And then he called it, I'll see you in 17 years. <laughs> because, like, it's true, you know. <laughs> and, and but you make, you make other friends in other places. And not to say that you are not friends with people who don't have kids, but, you know, your life changes and you have mother's groups, father's groups, and you have I imagine friendships with parents at soccer and yeah, you know you look forward yeah, to yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'll say a hot coffee next to the soccer field, but we're not in the southern states, so you'd be mm. dry season, it could be eighteen degrees. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do you make you know, you you just make different friends once mm. you have kids and they're usually friends who also have kids and have kids about the same age as your kids and you know, know that you know Getting smashed until 2 a.m. on Friday night is not a, probably a good option no, for anyone. No, it's funny. I love that you talked about the earmuffs. I bought earmuffs for Sally for cracker night. I was like, great, we're on. Just put the earmuffs, she'll be fine. Got all the stuff that we had down to the beach at Lee Point, you know, little barbecue, table, chairs, all the rest of it. As it's coming down to sunset, people letting off fireworks that you can't even see but, you know, can't wait to let them off. Yeah. And she just lost her shit. Was not having a bar of it. On, terrified of any little bang. It was just me and Steve. We're like, wasn't even sunset. Yeah, we've got to go home. It's short term. <laughs> Tell me, your kids love Kraken Night. They do love Kraken Night. Of course, they do. They're, they're territory kids. What, what territory kid doesn't love Kraken Night? Oh, it's we too good. Just go over to the school oval and blow some stuff up. <laughs> It's always good fun. So what's the future for Matt Cunningham? Are we going to see your name on a ballot box one day? No way ever. <laughs> you have been that, asked? That's, no. You've, no. Never, You've been never been asked? No, no. not And I wouldn't do it either. No. I don't know. Like I, I just, I'm, you know. I'm, I thought they would have felt two hours. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy, me too. I'm, I'm very happy being a journalist and I don't have a great deal of interest, you know, in yeah, no. you know. I, I, God, I see what politics does to people. Totally. I, was, I would not want to do that. No. In a million years. Yeah. But in saying that, anyone who really wants to make a change. Well, we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't be disheartened. 
very happy doing what I'm doing. And I've been doing it for nearly eight years now. To be in a job for eight years and and that's probably the longest I've ever been in a job. But to be, you know, to be happy in that job. And I think that one of the reasons that's you know, important to get back to the parenting theme of this podcast is mm. that, you know, it gives me the flexibility to, you know, spend more time with my family and you know, that's that's an important thing, I think. Yeah. You know, in in you know, five to ten years' time, they'll all have flown the coop, and yeah, and then you'll be <laughs> wondering what to do with yourself. Well. <laughs> well, then you can meet all your friends at the pub. Well, exactly. Yeah, I'll see you in seventeen years. But it's like it's and it's amazing how quick it goes. Like, you yeah, know, I remember being in those hard years and just being like, oh my god, like this yeah. is this is really hard. It's a slog. Yeah, I imagine what Jess would say. She'd say it was easy for you. She'd be right. I mean, well, we'll have to have a part two and have yeah, good, Jess on. Good luck with that. <laughs> um, I think you want to make the most of your time with your children while mm. they're around and while they're know. keen to hang out with you. Exactly. I would have hate, hated to have looked back at you know life and gone. There was actually there was one time when we were at this awards night in Melbourne. It was not long before I left the job I was doing there. And we were there and I was there with Jess who never comes to these sort of functions but for some reason came to this one. And um, it was just like one bloke after another, after another, after another, getting up on stage, accepting his award and thanking his wife for the fact he hadn't been home for the last 20 years. Yeah, right. I think that was (laughs) a moment where, you know, we just said this is is not – one this, that's not who I want to be in mm. twenty years' time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's finish with the story then about drinking rum before Cyclone Helen. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a good one to finish well, this, off this on. This takes back. This goes back to my cousin Joe, who I'd never met until I moved to Darwin and didn't know he existed. But so, so it was must have been too early two thousand and eight. Cyclone Helen. So Cyclone Helen's rolling in. Yeah, I don't even remember Cyclone Helen. So it wasn't a big one. Mm. It wasn't big enough, unfortunately. That was the problem. <laughs> that was the problem. So Cyclone Helen was coming in and it was a Friday night and um, and I was supposed to be playing footy the next day and Joe and I got on the rum cans at his place where he was living at Stuart Park and because yeah. the cyclone was blowing in. People cyclone actually party. have cyclone parties, yeah, just so everyone close, knows. Yeah. Like you all go to someone's house and cyclones yeah. come in. So people go to the down. pub. I mean it's yeah. quite irresponsible and I wouldn't recommend it and we probably should forewarn people that next time there's <laughs> yes. a cyclone, don't. Have your cyclone, cyclone pack ready, yep. But anyway, so we, we sat there quite stupidly and, and drank rum while this cyclone <laughs> Came in thinking that tomorrow's game was going to be cancelled. <laughs> well, Cyclone Helen turned out to be a bit of a fizzer, unfortunately. <laughs> That's what happened. So we woke up the next morning and there might have been a couple of trees down. Well, we didn't even really wake up. We hardly went to bed. But the next morning, you know, um, suddenly the NTFL decided that this round of football would be going ahead. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I was playing in the seconds, which is like that. Two o'clock in the afternoon oh, at Nightcliff Oval yeah. in the worst possible weather, which Would is like so steamy, well, exactly. Right? Yeah. You know when the sun comes up, oh. com- comes out in and the it's wet the season, it's so like, yeah, yeah, the heat's coming at you from both directions. Like honestly, <laughs> and you're hungover on rum. Oh, you could have smelt me from oh. like. Yeah, you know, wasn't a couple of breaks just behind the goalposts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it was a long and uncomfortable experience. Oh, I tell you what, I don't Jesus. think I got anywhere near the ball. That's I reckon for sure. a lot of people would have a yeah similar experience. That's that. a good tropo moment. Well, thank you very much, Cunningham. We appreciate your time. No worries at all. Thanks for having dearest. me. Don't forget to like, subscribe, tell your friends, share us as often as you can, and also please go and vote for us 
for People's Choice in the Australian Podcast Awards. We've shared the link on our socials and we will continue to share the link on our socials because, well, we frankly deserve to be there. No, (laughs) I'm joking. No, like, subscribe, tell your friends. We'll catch you next week. Bye.